Amen. Thank you, Matt. So good to see all of you this morning. Good morning. It's wonderful to see all of our members and our visitors, and we're so very glad to have you with us this morning. It's great to see each other, get to uh, be encouraged by one another and uh, the joy of being together. We're also very thankful for those of us who are joining us online. We want you to know we're always here for you, and you're important to us as well, and we appreciate your presence with us online. Listen to this story that I read about a guy who returned to his hometown after being gone for many, many years. He wrote, I had not been home in years. My mom passed in 1997, and she was the last surviving member of our family to live in our hometown. Because I had no immediate family there, I really had no reason to return. But I did return more than a decade later. I was stunned. The level of deterioration surpassed my worst imagination. From my perspective, my small hometown was looking more like a ghost town. Several businesses on the main street were closed and vacant. You could, uh, you could see the faint outline of paint on the glass that once told the name of the store. I walked store by store. My childhood memories came back alive. Now, to be sure, the town was never a bustle of activity. Back in the 1960s and 1970s, most people called the town quaint, kind of like Mayberry. It seemed to be a good place to grow up, though the amenities were few. I looked in the display windows of the closed stores. Dust and more dust were all I could see on the floor and on the bare uh, display shelves. Each store brought back a vivid memory. Each step took me back to another time, a better time for this town. But the overall state of the town was sad. I knew the place was not what it was in my childhood years, but it was much worse than I expected, he wrote. I decided to go to one of the fast food places of my childhood. It too was closed. It looked like it had not been occupied in a decade. Later that day, <clears throat> I spoke with an acquaintance who had lived there all of his life. I asked him what happened to our hometown. His perplexed look and simple question said it all. What do you mean? He did not notice the deterioration that had happened. He did not see the ghost town that I saw. His perspective was day by day. And you don't see much change in a day. You don't see the accumulation of dust in hours. For him, it was still largely the same town of half a century earlier. For him, not much has changed. So what we see happen in this story was slow erosion took place over time, right? Years and years, it eroded and deteriorated. There was slow erosion, but the people who lived there didn't see it because it was slow. But slow erosion happens in other areas of our lives too, doesn't it? It can happen to a house. It can happen to that old shed back there, to that old truck that you, you were going to fix up. And, and over time, they can erode and start falling apart and breaking down. But erosion can also happen to us spiritually, can't it? And usually it happens slowly, and we don't detect it and don't perceive it over a, large, a long period of time. And before we know it, we've 
deteriorated away. The slow erosion has happened, and there's nothing left. It can happen in our own individual lives as Christians. It can also happen in a church. Slow erosion can happen in a church where once what once was vibrant erodes into nothing much left spiritually. I'm not talking about numbers. I'm talking about spirituality. And so if spiritual erosion happens, then our culture, or as we've been saying, our atmosphere erodes also. And the church cannot be who God has called that congregation to be. Why? Because we let it erode spiritually. Where does it start? It starts with me and my personal life and all of us collectively because we make up the local congregation. So in our text Uh, This morning in Colossians, starting in chapter 2, Paul, I think, helps us see some things that we can do to help us keep from slow erosion happening in our personal lives as well as in our church that God has entrusted us with here locally. He helps us to prevent the spiritual erosion uh, in the things that he's going to say here. We're going to look at these in three different chunks. So look at Chapter 2, starting in verse 16, and this will go through verse 4 of chapter 3. Let me read this quickly, and then we'll look at some points that Paul makes. Paul writes, starting in chapter 2, verse 16, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Verse 22, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Why do you do this, he says. Verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom, in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Chapter 3, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. Now, Paul is writing to this church, these these Colossian Christians, because they were under attack by false teachers. And we don't know for sure the source of the false teaching. Some think it could even be some who were members of the congregation there. Uh, But... They were under attack by these different teachings and he is writing to correct some of the things that he's heard that they've been hearing and dealing with. And he wanted to correct these false teachings and 
further teach them about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ in our lives, that, that He is the substance. And so in verses 16 through 18, Paul is directly attacking this false teaching that's been influencing the church. Uh, some think it might have been uh, some blend of local Jewish belief and pagan folk beliefs that are infiltrating the church. There's different thoughts on that. But regardless, it was false teaching that was coming in and, 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 and threatening their faith in this congregation. And he wants them to understand that, look, when Jesus died on the cross, he took the old covenant and all the external things to do with uh, uh, religion, and he nailed it, the old law on the cross with him. That that old covenant, that old law, the Mosaic law was, was made invalid. It's no longer, no longer binds us that now the substance is in Christ, that Christ is the substance of our faith. Not external religious practices, but Christ himself is our substance. He is what we put our hope in, and he is uh, uh, who fulfills the law and satisfies us and meets our spiritual needs. That He is the reality and the old covenant was simply leading us to Christ. And when Christ came, He said a new covenant is here and it's what He came and brought us. <clears throat> so Paul says, don't let anyone disqualify you from your eternal salvation by being led astray by these false teachings because the reality is in Christ. And he says, don't get caught up in this. So in verse 19... Paul tells us that when a person follows these false teachings, what happens? He's saying they're not holding on to the head, which is Christ, the church being his body. He's already addressed that in chapter 1 and some of his other letters. But he's saying when you follow false teachings, you let go of Christ as the head uh, uh, of the church and of, of, of you as a Christian, a part of his body, and you hold on to these false teachings and you lose your grip on Christ as the head. So that's how falling away happens. That's how following uh, false teachings happens. You let go of one thing and you grab hold of another. And he says, don't do that. Hold on, hold firmly, hold fast to Christ, the head of the church. He's our Savior. And, and, and so Jesus, being the head of the church, is the one who we've got to hold on to. And he says, but when you get puffed up with your wisdom that you think is wise, with your intelligence and your man-made religion, so when you get puffed up, see, you can't even see that you're doing that. Why? Because you think you're so smart. And he's saying that's what's happening. Don't let that happen to you. Jesus is the substance to hold firmly to. So that brings us to our first main point. To ensure we have an atmosphere that doesn't erode spiritually, we need to make sure we hold firmly to Christ. We've got to hold firmly to the head of the church. We're supposed to be his body, and he is the head of the church. We've got to hold firmly to him. When we do that, we help ensure that there won't be spiritual erosion in our own individual lives as well as uh, in the church, uh, the gathered congregation. So when the church holds firmly to the head, of the, uh, uh, the head of the church, Paul is telling us that God then 
causes it to grow with his growth that he gives. And that's the kind of growth we want, not man-made, manufactured growth, but growth that God gives. How do you get that growth? You hold on to the head of the church. You hold fast. Uh, you hold firmly to Christ. Now look at verses 22, 20 and 23. Paul's, Paul continues showing the church that external regulations aren't right, that don't, don't follow all these false teachings that uh, they're, they're wanting you to follow. They're not right. And Paul asks, if, Christ, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why do you keep living like you belong to the world? You're, you don't follow that anymore. The old covenant, these false teachings, those have no binding on you. You died to all of that earthly stuff, the externals, and your life is with Christ now. You're alive in Christ, and we've got to live like that. He continues, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion. See how Paul goes straight after the false teaching? He goes directly after it, and he said it's, it appears wise. Those people teaching that stuff sound like they know what they're talking about. About. He said, but it's false and it's not what Christ wants you to believe. It's not holding fast to Christ. They promote this uh, self-made religion, religion and asceticism, which is this, this false humility, some translations say, really kind of, kind of for others to see, kind of the showy humility and severity to the body, treating the body severely out of this false uh, uh, humility, but Paul says they're of no value in stopping the flesh. Why? Because they have no power to stop the flesh, and he's about to say more about that. That's why he's telling us the reality and the substance is in Christ, not in all of these other practices. So the Bible says the external rules and regulations don't stop the flesh. Paul wants us to understand that the power is not in rituals, but the power is in Jesus. And Jesus is the one who changes us. He's the one that has the power to change us in our life, to help us deal with the things that we have to deal with. And that's what Paul, that's what Paul is urging these Christians. Don't be convinced by the false teachings that these things work when Christ's power in you is what will change you and what will meet your needs. Not made up religious rules. And he's saying that, that, that they have an appearance of wisdom, but you have a Savior who sits at the right hand of the throne of God interceding for you. What more power could there be to help you in your life than holding fast to Christ who died for you? So then he says, if then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Christ is, set your mind on earthly things, uh, uh, on, set your mind on things that are above, not on earthly things. Why? Because you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when he appears, you're going to appear with him in glory. So he's saying that's how you get to heaven. You hold firmly to Christ, worshiping him, serving him, and don't let go. And like, maybe like a helium balloon, he's going to take you on up to heaven when he comes back. You hold on to him, and that's where you're going to get your change and your help and your salvation, not in something else. Then that bring, that, so that's our first point, hold firmly to Jesus. Then Paul tells us our second point, and that's what we're looking at. And he says, put off your old self. 
Put off your old self. That's in chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Let's read those verses. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. And listen, Paul didn't, Paul didn't plan. He goes straight to it and calls out a bunch of things. And he says, put these things to death, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, uh, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Verse 6, on account of these, the wrath of God is coming. He said, take sin seriously because God does. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them away now that you're a Christian, he's writing to Christians, you must put them away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. See, you're over here having obscene talk, cussing and all that. Your language is bad, jokes are bad, all of that. But you say, well, at least I'm not sexually immoral. And Paul says, it don't matter. All of it needs to be done away with and put to death in your life. Don't lie to one another, uh, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. See, Christians are to continue to grow spiritually, and that includes continuing to eliminate things from our lives. Sin, earth, of the earthly nature, these earthly things, to eliminate them from our lives. And then he's going to talk later about then we need to cultivate Christian virtues in our lives, you see? So when you live to gratify the lusts of your flesh, the desires of what you want to do, when you live to do that, you can get to a point where only those things make you happy. And you think that whatever external things those are, those earthly things, what sinful practices, greed, uh, whatever they might be, sexual immorality, uh, uh, alcohol, whatever it might be, say, you can get to a point where only those things make you happy. But guess what? It's a trick. Because as he talked about in Ephesians, Paul talked about you've been deceived by the desires of the old self. It's a trick. You think those things make you happy, but it's not real happiness. Because real happiness is only found in Christ. Only he has the power to give you complete and real and genuine satisfaction. So true satisfaction is only in Christ. The Bible says we're to mortify or put to death the things that are sinful in us. Uh, the Greek basically just says to make it dead, to make dead those sinful practices in our lives. As Paul just talked about those things, he said, of course, that's not exhaustive. So we got to deal with the sin in our lives. Someone said, well, I don't sin, but Paul just talked about anger. What about anger? What about slander? See, He's not letting anybody off the hook. And then he says, basically, he says this in another place too, and such were some of you. You used to live like that too. He said, so don't, don't anybody think, well, I never did that. Paul says, yes, you did. Yeah, you did. Don't act like you didn't. You've all been there, done that, okay? So don't look at anybody else like you hadn't done that too. And so uh, he said, well, we all are in this together to put this off. And so he reminds us the wrath of God is coming for this. And so if the wrath of God is coming to deal with sin, then what we got to do is find out a way, how can I have my sin washed away? What can I do to deal with my sin? And that's his point. Christ is the answer to that because Christ in him, your sins are washed away. So when Paul says, seeing that you have put off your old self with its practices in verse 9, the Greek is letting us know that this is something that has happened at one time time, a specific time in the past. This has already happened when you put off 
your old self. So what is that time in the past at a, at a moment when this happened? What it is, is baptism, that this initially happens, this putting off of the old self happens at baptism. And, and, and he says more about it in Romans 6, and you can study Romans 6 more. I'll read a few verses there quickly, uh, starting in verse number 4. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we've been united with him in, in a death like this, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like this. But he hadn't talked about his old self. So what are you talking about, Jake? Well, keep reading. Look at verse number six. We know that our old self was what? Crucified with him. How? In baptism, uh, verse four. And in order that the body of sin might be what? Brought to nothing. That's what he's saying. Put to death. Put it off. Mortify it. Make it dead. That's what he's saying. We, when we're baptized, that's the initiation of that. That's when it happens. So that we would no longer be what? Enslaved to sin. You see how that works? So for one who has died has been freed from sin. So when you put off the old self in baptism, you put off its practices. God has, has done that in that operation, that operation of God in the water. A, a change has already taken place in your life and in your standing with God. Your sins have been washed away. Your old self has been put off. But the challenge is, and this is what Paul's writing to them about, to remind them of that, but also to say, but now... Now you got to do like they do at the eye doctor. When's the last time you went and got an eye exam? You know, they make you get up to that thing like that, and then they do all those different tests. Not the one where they blow air in your eye. That one's, that one's difficult. But you remember the one where they say, okay, you're going to see two bars. You tell me when they're lined up. You ever done that one? And so you're just like, you can't get it wrong. You get it wrong, you're going to get some binoculars they're going to give you some Coke bottles, so you, i got to get it just right. And boom, as soon as you, you click in that button and asking if you got it right, and then they tell you, no, you didn't get it right. So what Paul is saying is you, you've been put off your old self, and now you got to bring your lifestyle in line with your new identity in Christ. Do you see that? you got to bring your daily life, your thoughts, your beliefs, your lifestyle in line with who you now are in Christ to match up with your new identity. And so that uh, brings us to our third point, our third and final point. Put on your new self in verses 10 through 17. So to prevent erosion, spiritual erosion in our lives, we need to put off our old self and, and, and its practices and put on our new self and bring our daily life in line with, in sync with our new identity in Christ by eliminating those sins, that, that earthly stuff from our lives and cultivating those Christian values in our lives. Look at what Paul writes in starting in verse number 10. And have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator, here there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if 
one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Verse 14, and above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. So when you're baptized into Christ, you simultaneously take... You're baptized in Christ, you're simultaneously taking off your old spiritual clothes, so to speak, okay? And you're putting on your new clothes. He wrote in, Paul wrote in Galatians, you're being clothed with Christ in baptism. Does that make sense? You're taking them off and laying them there, being buried with him in baptism, and you're putting those new clothes on. And Paul is saying, when you put those new, that new spiritual identity, that new creation, that new creature, I think the King James says, then you need to walk away from, mortify, put to death, uh, make dead uh, the old self, the old stuff, leave that stuff behind, put it away, wearing some new clothes. You ever got some new clothes and you, you feel different? He's saying you need to walk away like you're wearing some new clothes. Act like you're a Christian, he's saying. Don't live like you still wear these old clothes. Put your Jesus clothes on and start walking like you're a Christian, he's saying. Does that make sense? And so he's saying when you do that, you're putting off this stuff. You're not picking it back up. It's dead to you. And, and, and you're living in these Christian virtues. We might say fruit of the Spirit. It's all the same thing. He's saying this is how you're supposed to live. This is what's supposed to be cultivating in your life and coming out of you and being what you're about and how people know you and what you're, uh, you know, what you're like when you uh, interact with others. That's how you're supposed to be known. Not by this. Lay that aside. It's gone. So there's a sense of it happened then in baptism, but then i got to learn how to live in my new clothes that I'm in. Does that make sense? And that is spiritual growth, spiritual maturity. That, that's what that's talking about, okay? So your new self is being renewed. It's continual and ongoing, but Paul says, how is it being renewed? He tells us how to renew it. Renewed in verse 10 says, knowledge. Knowledge of what? Well, how are you going to get knowledge? You don't have knowledge unless you get knowledge. How are you going to get knowledge? you got to study the Word of God. It's that simple. You have to say, i got to live like this because Jesus saved me, and I believe Him, and I'm convicted. I need to grow so that I can live according to my new identity, and I, that means I need to grow in my knowledge of Him and His Word. That's how you do it. That's how that works. That's how you grow spiritually. And, and then uh, verse 11 says, and this is for all people. Nobody's left out like in old, the old covenant Judaism or whatever other religions of the world. Uh, nobody is left out. All, it's a whosoever will invitation. All people are equally invited to come to Christ. And Paul tells us here the virtues, as we said, that need to cultivate 
uh, in you, in your new self. And he said, you need to take off, you took that sinful stuff off and put it to death. You need to put these things on and let them grow and flourish in your life. And then finally, he gives us a picture of worship uh, in the church. We see the word and we see singing. You see that at the very end? We see the word of God and we see singing to God and to one another. That's, that's the worship when we come together. You know, I can't cover everything in this passage. There's so much more here in this larger text. But I hopefully have shown you these three things. Hold firmly to Jesus and his word. Put off our old self and eliminate sin from our lives. And on our last slide, and on, put on our new self and continue to mature in Christ. Uh, that's what I've wanted you to see. And these are the things that will help prevent slow spiritual erosion in our own lives and in our church. And that makes us strong as we grow more and more mature. And we have an atmosphere that does the work of the Lord in a way that worships Him and brings Him glory. If we can help you this morning, maybe you're ready to put off your old self and put on your new self in Christ. You can be baptized this morning. Maybe you, you've, you've done that, but you hadn't been living like you did that, and you're ready to get back at it. You're ready to get back on track. Maybe you have another need, a prayer request or some other thing that we can help you with. We want you to know we're here for you. If we can serve you in any way this morning, we invite you to come forward as we stand and sing. Yeah.